please remain standing for the reading of God's Word this morning from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. It's God's word for his people today. You may be seated, and let's pray now once again and ask for his help. Father, we come asking you to meet us in your word by your spirit now, to give us what we do not have, uh, to make us what we are not yet, to lead us into truth this day so that for your glory we might live amongst our neighbors and the nations for the exaltation of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, last week, uh, we celebrated the 4th of July, and among one of the many uh, purely American traditions is the Nathan's Famous Hot Dogs 4th of July Hot Dog Eating Contest. Now, if uh, you were one of the people who watched this live event on ESPN, uh, you would have seen another guy, uh, or the guy who has won 16 out of the last 17, win again this year, chowing down an obscene amount of hot dogs in 10 minutes. But prior to taking the stage, uh, the host took almost two minutes to introduce him with an intro so over the top. I mean, we're talking about eating hot dogs. I mean, but if you didn't know what was going on or who this guy was, if you just hear the audio, you would have thought you were hearing an introduction for a Nobel Peace Prize winner or someone who cured cancer. It, it, it's really quite unbelievable the, accol the accolades the host was pouring upon this guy just for eating hot dogs. But it, it makes us realize that our world, even though scarfing down hot dogs might be interesting or whatever the accomplish might be, accomplishments might be, we want the things we do to mean more than just the things we do. We're looking for the things we do to mean something greater. And David Brooks, uh, he talks about this in his uh, book, The Road to Character. He talks about the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. Resume virtues are like, hey, I won a hot dog eating contest a bunch. And that's a resume virtue. But a eulogy virtue are the things people say about you when you're not around, uh, culminating in your eulogy when you're not around. <laughs> now, if you've been to enough funerals, you realize resume virtues are talked about at funerals. But they're usually the introduction to the eulogy virtues. You know what I mean? Hey, I was with this person and, you know, they would drop everything they're doing whenever they needed to help me because that's the kind of person he or she was, right? So we talk about resume virtues, sure, but it's the eulogy virtues that we're all longing for. And if you've been to enough funerals, you realize how sad you are when you head home, when all you've realized or all you've heard are resume virtues. Yeah, they accomplished a lot of things, but what was, what was it all for? And so, today's fruit of the spirit of kindness, I think, gets to the heart of all this. 
It, it makes us slow down in our frenetically paced world to ask the question, not only what are we going to accomplish, but what are people going to say about you at your funeral? Now, of course, the fruit of the Spirit should be able to be said about every Christian because the Spirit is growing, is cultivating each of these fruit in every one of God's people. But I think kindness stands out, especially in our world. We live in a time of ugly vitriol and disdainful contempt. That, that just characterizes our public discourse, especially in our day when those things are seen as virtuous. It's virtuous to be vitriolic and contemptful, disdainful towards others, when, uh, especially towards those who don't agree with you, or especially when others deserve it. The fruit of the spirit of kindness stands out like a beacon in the darkness. I mean, in a time when it seems like often every conversation that we get in is a zero-sum game that our side can't lose, and so morality is quickly thrown out the window for the greater good, whatever that means, on whatever given day, according to whoever's yelling the loudest, I think spirit-cultivated kindness will stand out in our time for the glory of God. And it will uh, because kindness glorifies God because kindness reflects who God is. The root of the fruit of the spirit of kindness is the kindness of God. And so that's where we're going to begin, the root of the spirit of the fruit of kindness. The root is God's kindness. And the Bible reveals God's kindness in three ways. Uh, it's characteristic, it's covenantal, and it's countless. God's kindness is characteristic, covenantal, and countless. So first, God's characteristic kindness. It's kindness uh, that defines God. It is characteristic of who God is. God doesn't just act kindly or do kind things. He is kindness. And we see this first in the fact that God reveals himself to be a father, to be a father. Michael Reeves, in his terrific little book, Delighting in the Trinity, helps us consider what it means for God to be a father. A father is a person who gives life, who begets children. Now, this insight is like a stick of dynamite in our thoughts about God. For if, before all things, God was eternally a father then this God is an inherently outgoing, life-giving God. He did not give life for the first time when he decided to create. From eternity, he has been life-giving. So let's just unpack that a little bit. What's it mean for God to be a father? Well, fathers give love and life, which God was doing with his son before creation. God was begetting the eternal son. The, eternal, the, the Son is eternally begotten of the Father. So from all eternity, in the fellowship and joy of the Spirit, God has been giving love and life. Now that means God does not need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything. He lived in perfect, loving communion without us. There was no deficiency in the Trinity that drove them to create the universe. Everything exists because God is a father. So he moved outward in creating love. That's what fathers do. They beget life. 
So God, begetting the Son, who loved him in perfect communion by the Spirit, that means God is the independent, unneedy, perfectly happy God. And he's been so eternally. He, he, just, he's never needed anything. Just contemplate that for a moment. You and I aren't necessary for God to be God. God doesn't need anything to be God. The, the false gods of every other false world religion, those gods are either dependent on creation or us to fulfill needs for them or to fill out the reason why things are here or their existence. In some way or another, the false gods of world religions need something, but not the God of the Bible. He does not need anything or anyone. So why are we here? Because God's a father who moved out in love, not from neediness, but from exactly the opposite, from an infinite fullness that overflows so that he moved outward to share and spread his love. And that gets to the heart of biblical kindness. That's how who God is as a father is connected to kindness. Kindness is a disposition, a characteristic, of who we are in nature. It's a natural thing for God to generously seek the good of others. So kindness is a disposition that generously seeks the good of others. Kindness is inherent to who God is. It is characteristic of him. So it defines everything God does. In other words, God doesn't just do kind things. He is kind always. We hear about random acts of kindness, which has its own national day on February 17th, when you have to, you know, set your reminder to be kind that day randomly. And there's even a foundation promoting, you know, random acts of kindness week in our schools. But biblical kindness... While it's not less than doing kind things, it is much more than driving through the Starbucks window on your way home and paying for the person's latte behind you, or paying it forward, or holding open a door for someone, or giving someone a random phone call or text encouraging them. It's not less than that, but it is so much more, because God's acts of kindness aren't random. He doesn't have to try to be kind. He doesn't have a universal day of kindness only to get back to whatever he was doing before he chose to be kind. God is kind, which means his kindness are, uh, are not acts of uh, brief bursts of carefully aimed benevolence towards people who don't deserve it. God is always kind. He doesn't have to plan it. He doesn't find himself in a situation where he has to say, okay, now, be kind, be kind, be kind. Kindness characterizes God and defines everything he does. It is his characteristic. And we see this in God's dealing with his people through his covenants. That's no surprise, because right? kindness, while being something about the nature of, of the person, it, it expresses itself in acts. Right? So kindness is a disposition that then gener generously seeks the good of others. Kindness will flow from who you are. So God's characteristic kindness is also covenantal. 
God, his, uh, God's kindness pours out upon his people, not because they deserve it, or not because of anything within them, or anything they can do for him. Kindness is seeking the good of others, generously, costly, in spite of what they deserve or don't deserve. So God generously seeks the good of others in spite of what we deserve. He, he doesn't need us, so he doesn't need us to do anything for him. He pours out kindness so that we can share in it, so that we can know it, so that we can enjoy him. And that's what Deuteronomy 7 points out when talking about God's covenantal kindness towards his people. He, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession, the thing he loves. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were in more, uh, more in number than any of the other people in the Lord. It was not because they deserved it or they could do anything for him or it was advantageous for God to be kind to them that he set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all the people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Now, God didn't choose Israel because of anything within them. It was actually in spite of everything. If God was going to show kindness to, to make it advantageous for him, he would have chosen Egypt, not Israel. Egypt was the superpower. Egypt had all the stuff that you would thought, well, hey, God's going to pick them. They could do a lot of things for him. No, it's the people who can't do anything for him that God's going to choose to pour out his kindness upon. So God chose them simply because of his overflowing loving kindness. That's who he is. And who he is has flowed out into acts, not random acts, but every act of loving kindness. And then 1 Peter takes this Old Testament language in chapter 2 and applies it to the church, saying, we're now God's chosen people. We're the royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. The church is a treasured possession for God's, uh, uh, God's treasured possession. And not because of anything within us or anything we could do for God. God's covenantal kindness is shown just in the simple fact that he called out your name for redemption rather than for judgment. So praise God that his kindness isn't random. If God's kindness was random, we would have no hope. You'd have no hope of repentance, of forgiveness, of knowing his love, of being sure of your inheritance. If it's just random, how could we trust it? But you can trust it because God's kindness is covenantal, which means it never ceases. It will never end. When God makes a promise, he never breaks it, which is what Deuteronomy 7 is saying. He, I, I, I swore an oath, so I'm keeping it, not because of anything within you, and especially not because you deserve it. I'm going to keep being kind because it's who I am. And so when God makes a promise, he never breaks it, which means even when we're unfaithful, God never is. He always has been, he always is, and he always will be kind. And this is glorious because this means God isn't more kind on the days you think you're doing pretty good. And he's not less kind on the days you think, well, I'm doing pretty bad today. I don't know if he's going to love me today. No, it, it does not ebb and flow. God's kindness cannot change. 
Since God's kindness is covenantal, it never increases or decreases. You all know I love the Psalms. This is one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. Psalm 145, 17 says this, The Lord is righteous in all his ways. And if it was only a period right there, we sinners would, wouldn't have a whole lot of hope. But the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He is a God who is both just, yes, but justifies. He saves sinners. He is kind always. You can't catch God on a bad day. You can't catch God on a bad day. <laughs> you know, I, I told you, like, the, the fruit of the Spirit, like, this is a, I, I was speaking with someone before the service today, got a love-hate relationship with this sermon series. You know, hey, I think I'm doing pretty good in patience. Oh, yeah, here, preach patience. Okay, I'm not patient at all. <laughs> I'm showing a lot of love lately. No, no, you're not, <laughs> you know? Hey, I'm pretty kind. You know, you can catch me at a, at a bad moment. And, and there, usually it's not moment. <laughs> it's moments. Moments of unkindness. But you can't catch God when he is unkind. You will never catch him in a moment where his kindness cannot be felt or seen. God is always kind in everything he does. And which means then God's kindness is countless. God's kind, if everything he does and has been from eternity and into eternity is kindness. Well, then his kindness is countless. And that's why Ephesians 2 says this when it's talking about a reason God makes dead sinners alive in Jesus Christ. Why does God save sinners? So that, that's the purpose, in the coming ages, in eternity, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in what? Kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. God saved sinners because he wanted to put on display how countless his kindness is. That God saved sinners simply because of his infinite kindness. Not with anything in them or anything he, they could do for him. God makes those who were once enemies his sons because of his immeasurably rich kindness. And God is countlessly kind and eternally so which means that in eternity, we won't have enough time to exhaust the countless ways God has been kind to us, namely in his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes people say, what are we going to be doing in heaven? That's a lot of time up there. You won't be bored. You know why? Because you will never be unamazed at how immeasurably rich God's kindness has been to you in Christ Jesus. Like we're on, we're on summer break and we have a, a, a rule in our house, don't tell mom that you're bored because you'll have about 800 things to do <laughs> in about four seconds. So they don't say it anymore, you know? They just keep that to themselves. But sometimes people think heaven's going to be boring. You won't be bored because you will never have a spare moment to be like, what am I going to do now? I counted God's ways. He was kind to me. It is immeasurably rich the countless ways, countless. You will never get to the bottom of God's inexhaustible kindness to you in Jesus Christ. And it's namely in Jesus Christ that you see God's kindness. That is where God's kindness is known. 
Titus 3, 4 says it this way. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but why? How? According to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly, countlessly, immeasurably, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. You're an heir of eternal life, and your eternal life will, will be filled with counting the immeasurably rich ways God has been kind to you in Jesus. Because kindness is, kindness is who God is. It's who he is. So kindness is what God always does. And we know this because kindness came to us in Jesus Christ. When sinners deserved judgment, what appeared? Goodness and loving kindness. Not judgment. It does not mean judgment will not appear. But what came in the moment of great need? Kindness. Jesus Christ. God kindly saved us, not because of anything we could do or did, but in spite of what we did. God mercifully showed us kindness in Jesus Christ. Which means, then, kindness is not an abstract quality. It's not just kind of something that you're like, oh, yeah, let's be kind. Well, kindness is no abstract quality. It is a person. It is Jesus Christ. And so, friend, I don't know if you're here today and you don't know this kindness, that you have a picture of God that is quite the opposite, but here, that the loving kindness and goodness of God has appeared in Jesus Christ to save sinners. And so may God's kindness lead you to repentance of your sins and faith in Jesus Christ, so that in the coming ages, you might never cease to enjoy God's kindness to sinners like us. And brothers and sisters, don't move too quickly past God's kindness to you. We're to linger. This is what we're going to be doing in eternity, lingering in the immeasurably rich grace of kindness in Jesus Christ towards us. So linger in the truth that when you were dead in sin, God moved toward you, not in judgment, but first in kindness to make you alive in Jesus. And when that's the source of your security, when that's the source of your identity, the meaning, the purpose of your life, when that's the source of your joy, God's kindness you'll spend all day praising God for his kindness that knows no end. That'll be the kind of person you are. You'll be someone who praises God's kindness. And the root of God's characteristic, covenantal, and countless kindness then leads to the fruit of kindness in us. We'll be people who praise God's kindness and reflect God's kindness. The root of who God is leads to the fruit of the spirit of kindness in God's people. And as we begin to reflect on God's kindness to us, we'll begin to reflect that kindness to others in our daily living. The root of God's kindness bears the fruit of God's kindness in us uh, every day. We don't have to muster it up. This is the fruit of the spirit. So let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. So just two ways. It is, it's going to be in, uh, in our nature and in our relationships. Who we are and what we do. 
It's just two ways we'll reflect on the fruit of the spirit of kindness with the rest of our time today. Because just as kindness is characteristic of God and not just random acts, so kindness will become characteristic of God's people. Just as God's kindness is characteristic of his nature, who he is, it's a disposition, not just random acts, kindness will then come to more and more reflect who we are as God's people. And I want us to focus uh, for the rest of our time in Ephesians 4. You can turn there. It'll be up on the screen too. But if you want to turn to Ephesians 4, we're going to spend the rest of our time mainly looking at Ephesians 4, uh, verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Or in other words, everything that's unkind, let it be put away from you. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is a fruit of the Spirit. It means the, the Spirit is going to grow this in God's people's lives because while God is inherently kind, you and I are not. Some of you are nice. <laughs> Most of you are nice. I, I like you. You know, I, that, that sounded like a slight. I wasn't really trying to like, I don't know, be mean up here. I'm preaching on kindness. Here I am saying some of you aren't nice, but that's okay. <laughs> you just have to be kind to me. You got to generously seek my good. Okay? But what I mean is ni- niceness might be like polite manners, which are okay. We want to be polite, you know, Niceness might be doing a few things that people see as kind. But a lot of times, like when I was young and I was told to be nice, I was nice not because it was flowing through me. It was because I wanted to play video games when I got home and didn't want to get grounded from them. That's not kindness. That's selfishness. That's selfishness. So when we're talking about kindness, right, we are nice people. We might have personalities that are a little more docile, a little more, you know, agreeable with people, we're friendly, we're extroverted, whatever, we might be all those things, but we are not inherently kind. What's inherent to sinful human nature are the things in Galatians 5 verses 19 through 21, things like bitterness, anger, malice, strife, division, dissensions, enmity. That, that comes naturally to us. We're real good at those things, especially when people do something that deserve them. But God's grace enables us to put those things away. It says, put those away. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. All the disposition to not generously seek the good of others. Malice is generously seeking the harm of others when they deserve it. And sometimes when they don't. That's malice. But we're supposed to put those things away. And there's no way we can. That's who we are. But God's grace enables us to put those things away. And notice Ephesians 4 doesn't say about whether you have good reason to be bitter or angry, then you can, you know, not put them away. There's no asterisk in Ephesians 4 that says, unless you got a good reason to, then it's cool. No, it's, it just tells us to put them away. <laughs> and we can do that by remembering how kind God is and how kind God has been to us. Now, this does not mean that we don't seek justice or reconciliation or that we don't confront sin. 
It does mean that when we do, we don't do it with bitter, angry hearts. We put those things away. When we're confronting those things, it's because we're trying to seek the good of others, not ourselves primarily. Actually, John Calvin, in his um, sermon series on Galatians, he says that we can do this uh, when we remember that ultimately, even when people sin against us, they're really sinning against God. And their sin against God means their sin against us has eternal consequences. And if I'm really seeking another person's good, I don't want anyone to spend eternity in hell. So I am going to confront sin and preach truth and grace. Yes, and we're going to do those things. But I'm going to do it not from bitter, angry hearts that hopes I get justice. It's to make, to make God's kindness in Jesus Christ known to those who are still rebelling against him. And so God is inherently kind. And when God's kindness is shown to us, we become more and more characteristically kind. And, and that's where the Spirit comes in. Because we can't do this on our own strength. But the Spirit enables us to put away the things of the sinful nature and instead in their place grow things like we see in the fruit of the Spirit, and namely today, kindness. We put away those things and replace them with kindness. And notice how verse 32 describes this kindness. Tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted towards one another. Uh, this is like a, a, a Greek word where two words are slammed together to make a new one, and those two words are healthy intestines. <laughs> Be kind to one another with healthy intestines. And we realize this must have meant something because that does not make any sense. Right? We're not talking about leaky gut syndrome and getting some, you know, whatever things to help you out a little bit. Well, it, it means, obviously, that your insides are good. Be kind. And this is where we know this has got to be through the Spirit. So that your insides are good. So that when someone wrongs you, what comes out of you, out of your healthy intestines, out of your good insides, is not bitterness, anger, malice, slander, clamor, division, enmity, strife, revenge. What comes out of you is compassion. Good, your, your healthy intestines, your good insides, are expressed in compassion towards others. Be kind to one another. In other words, the kindness that's characteristic of God, who should not have shown sinners compassion, because that's not what we deserved against his holiness, but he showed us that kindness in spite of what we deserve. So the kindness that's characteristic of God, over time, becomes characteristic of us. Because when we're so satisfied with and secure in God's overflowing kindness towards you, well, then you can be kind in any situation and to anyone. And so, brothers and sisters, biblical kindness is first about a way of being before it's about a way of doing. Do you know what I mean? Biblical kindness starts with really who we are first before it gets to what we do. It's not that it has nothing to do with what we do, but we don't start there because the Spirit doesn't start there. The fruit of the Spirit is cultivating kind kindness in, in making us tender-hearted people towards others. And that kindness grows within us when we have tasted and seen God's tender-hearted kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. And so five points. How's your heart this morning towards others? 
how has been your heart towards others, especially towards those who aren't like you, who don't agree with you, who don't think like you, maybe who have wronged you. When you think about those things, when you find yourself in those situations, when you reflect on it, what grows in the intestines? Godly kindness always moves towards others, which means we can't have unkind hearts towards God or towards others when God's heart has always been kind towards us. It does not mean we're always this way, but is the fruit of the spirit of kindness growing within you? Can you see a trajectory where your heart is becoming more tender towards those who don't deserve it? Because that's how God's heart has been with you. And kindness becomes our characteristic then, not by trying harder, but by beholding God's kindness in Jesus Christ. And as we behold the image of our kind Savior, the Holy Spirit transforms us from one degree of glory to the next into the image of that kindness. And as we become more kind, as the Spirit transforms our hearts, we'll act in kindness. As we become more kind, we'll, we'll do kindness. As Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted. And what does that tender-heartedness lead to? Forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Again, here we see that difference between niceness and kindness. Godly kindness does not look like being nice. Spirit-cultivated godly kindness looks like forgiving others. Godly kindness that forgives others can only flow from people who know God has forgiven them. The picture of spirit-cultivated godly kindness, like the fruit gets more colored in as we reflect on what God's forgiveness is. God's forgiveness is free and it's full. God's forgiveness of us is free and full. So what does that tenderheartedness that then expresses itself in forgiveness, what does that look like in, in our lives? Well, it will be free and full, as God's forgiveness of us was free and full. So let's think about those things uh, as we end here. God's forgiveness is free, but only one way. It's free for those he offers it to. It's very costly for him. It's free for you to have. It's very costly for him to give. And so forgiveness on our end is hard because it's very costly. I like how Tim uh, Keller puts it. He says this, From the earliest parts of the Bible, it was understood that God could not forgive without sacrifice. No one who seriously who is seriously wrong can just forgive the perpetrator. If you have been robbed of money, opportunity, or happiness, you can either make the wrongdoer pay it back, or you can forgive. But when you forgive, that means you absorb the loss and the debt. You bear it yourself. All forgiveness, then, is costly. Now, he talks about consequences and and not ever forgiving too. So you, this is a little snippet. So you know you might have a caveat. Happy to talk to you about some of these after, if you have a caveat. 
But if, even if there are consequences, for you to really forgive someone is costly because you're going to have to bear the load. You're going to have to pay the debt. Because even if there's consequences, nothing can undo what was already done. The harm has been done. For you to clear it, even if there's consequences fully, is going to take you bearing the cost. And to forgive is costly. And the Spirit enables God's people to freely forgive, to bear the cost of generously seeking the good of others, to be, to be able to say, in spite of what you've done, you are forgiven, is to generously seek the good of others, not your own. Especially when you think, well, that apology was half-hearted. Or, I'm not sure they really mean it. Or it seems they're just saying that to get out of consequences. Now, what if they do it again? And in the face of all those what-ifs, the amazing thing about God's forgiveness of us is that he never instituted a threshold you had to reach in order to receive his forgiveness. He didn't say, try again, I don't think you really meant it the first time. He did not say, okay, this is the last time. He did not say, next time you better come with a lot more things, you know, to make me feel like you really meant it. You know, you only had to come to God with empty hands that were in need. And he generously pours out free forgiveness upon you. And since that's how freely God forgave you, that's the kind of godly forgiveness, or excuse me, godly kindness expressed in forgiveness that will flow through you to others by generously seeking the good of those who have sinned against you. And now, let's move to fully, all right? Because God not only f uh, forgives freely and enables us then to reflect that freeness of our forgiveness, God also forgives fully. One, another one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. As far as the east is from the west, so God has removed our transgressions from us. Which means God never turns our failures over and over and over in his mind. He's not dwelling on what we did yesterday against him. Just constantly like, he looks... When he, when he looks down upon you, he's not remembering just over and over all your failures. He never brings up past sins again with us. We're not talking to him in prayer. And then, you know, he's like, hey, remember when you were, you know? He doesn't even bring it up with other people. Which is what we like to do when we think we've been wronged and we're not getting the justice we think we deserve, we start to push it and then tell other people how bad the other person is. Do you know? Do you know the kind of person? That God never does that. That's why godly kindness is a fruit of the Spirit. Because there is no way we can muster this up. And this goes far beyond then, right, a random week of kindness 
a random act of kindness day on February 17th, and then on February 18th, you just go back to being unkind. This goes far beyond paying it forward in the drive through paying the person's latte behind you. I mean, this is godly kindness that is free and full. And I wonder if after a week of prepping this sermon, if you have the same question in your mind I do. I mean, in this world? Kindness like this? Yes. Because that is how God in Christ has been kind to you. So brothers and sisters, kindness is then a personal problem before it's a person problem. You get what I mean? Kindness is a personal problem before it's a person problem. It is about you, not about the other person. You can say, it's me, not you, and mean it when it comes to being unkind. Failing to be kind cannot be blamed on other people or what they did or any situation or circumstance you find yourself in. I like how Sinclair Ferguson puts it. He says this, Kindness to others is rooted in our own sense Again, personal problem. Our own sense of how much we have needed the kindness of God. And not only needed, but then he says, and received it from him. My refusal of failure to be kind to others would be a sure sign I had never really tasted God's kindness. If I had, I would want to pass it on. Because kindness is a disposition that generously seeks the good of others. And if you've experienced God's generous goodness and kindness to you in Jesus Christ, you would want to pass it on. So God's people have no excuse for being unkind. We have no excuse for being unkind. Again, that does not mean we speak truth or we don't speak truth. That does not mean we don't confront things. That does not mean we we don't have things to declare to this world. It does mean that we do it in a way that is kind never unkind. Because not only has God poured out his infinite and eternal kindness upon us, the Holy Spirit's ministry right now is to grow that godly kindness in our hearts. So when your heart isn't tender towards others, put it away. And you do so by remembering that God loved you from before eternity and chose to not only create, but then also to save a people who didn't deserve it so that you could share with him his immeasurable kindness for all eternity. So brothers and sisters, when that is our present, when this is true, in spite of what we've done, when that's true of our present, in spite of our past, and we know what our future holds for us, then we can be kind people in a most unkind world. And five points, you might be the only picture of godly kindness in Jesus that your neighbor will ever encounter. They're not going to encounter it from everyone who hasn't been shown that kindness by God. They're only going to know the pictures of unkindness, of the zero-sum game that everyone cannot lose especially in our moment right now. People praise contempt and vitriol, not kindness. So you might be the only picture of godly kindness 
that your neighbor will ever encounter. The only picture of God's kindness in Jesus that someone might ever see. So what will people say about you when you're not around? What will they say about your eulogy virtues? May the Spirit cultivate godly kindness in us so that our neighbors and the nations see in us the immeasurably rich kindness of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your kindness to us. We praise you that you are kind. We praise you that your kindness will never cease. That we can never exhaust it. That you will never put us away from you. That no matter how great our sins is, your kindness is always more. And so we pray that your spirit would work in us that godly kindness. So that in everything we say and do, Jesus would be exalted, our immeasurably kind Savior. Do this in us among our neighbors and nations for the glory of your name we pray. Amen.